Esther. Chapter 8 is where we are tonight. Plan on finishing this up, and as I promised, if you were here last week, we got a treat at the end. So, Esther, chapter 8. Again, as we've mentioned, we've been looking through this story. One of the one of the, the big stories in, in Israel history, as a matter of fact, outside of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, many believe that Esther is the most read book in the Old Testament or the, or the Jewish Bible, if you would. Read several times a year, a couple of times during Purim, as we'll get to in a little bit, every year um, amongst the Jewish people in Israel and, and around the world. And couple of interesting things as we've noticed God is never mentioned by name personally in the entire book of Esther but we see his hand his fingerprints in every verse we see the providential hand of God there and as we mentioned at the outset and have repeated a couple times going through that that to me is one of the neat things about Esther because oftentimes in our lives in our day-to-day lives we might say you know what I don't I don't I don't even sometimes sense God right there or there's times where God where are you but if we pay attention we see his fingerprints in every sentence of our lives as followers of Jesus he's, he promised he'll never leave us never forsake us he's right there always even though we might not necessarily feel or see him there we can know that he's there we can know by his promises, and then when we look back, we can, see his, we can see his fingerprints all over our story as we see him all over the story here in Esther. And Esther, as we know, a Jewish uh, young lady uh, whose identity and uh, background ethnicity has been kept secret as the king of Persia, uh, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, otherwise known as, was looking for a new bride, a new queen. Did not voluntarily give up the information that she's Jewish. Mordecai, her her uncle, uh, uh, said, let's keep that a secret. Um, And she was chosen to be queen. Uh, We've seen that then um, this man, Haman, was brought onto the scene. This this guy's second in command in all of the kingdom. Uh, Mordecai, a Jewish man, would not bow down to him would not pay him honor as everyone else would, and that infuriated him, and he set out to destroy not only Mordecai, but all of the Jewish people. That was his plan. And as we've mentioned, and we're going we're gonna to see right at the outset again here, this wasn't a plan that, that Haman hatched. This was a plan going back to the beginning that Satan has hatched to try to eliminate and wipe out the Jewish people. But we saw that plan backfired. It fell back on top of Haman last time. The gallows that he planned to hang Mordecai on, he himself was hung on. And that's where we left last time off at the end of chapter 7. Chapter 8 begins there. It says that on that day, King Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther and Mordecai came before the king for Esther had disclosed what he was to her. In our last chapter, we looked at this. Esther finally reveals to King Ahasuerus that she is Jewish, and that was that Haman's plot was to wipe her out and all of her people out. Well, here we see that she not only tells him that Mordecai is also Jewish, but that they are related. And because of that, guess what, King Ahasuerus? You're related. Mordecai, by marriage, is related to you. We see that they t- he takes Haman's possessions, his, his estate, if you would, and gives it to Esther. And as we mentioned, Mordecai, an extremely wealthy man, uh, so much so that he planned to personally fund the endeavor of wiping out the Jewish people. We talked of that before. 
So the king takes all that was belonging to him, gives it to Esther. Notice verse 2. He took off his signet ring, which he had taken away from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. That signet ring, as we mentioned before, basically gave him the authority of the king. He would write out an edict, if you would, roll it up and seal it with the signet ring as though the king were signing it himself. That was taken away from Haman before he was executed. And now we see that is given to Mordecai. So we see in just a few chapters going from the fact that Israel, the plan that Satan had was to wipe them out completely. And here we see not only Queen Esther, a Jew, but the second in command in all of Israel, Mordecai, a Jewish man. Verse 3, though, then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and implored him to avert the evil scheme of Haman, the Agagite, and his plot which he had devised against the Jews. Now, again, I want to underscore this because it says the evil scheme of Haman, but Haman was just a puppet in this entire thing. The real enemy of the Jewish, the people, and the real enemy of you and I is Satan. The real enemy, by the way, of every human being, because we are all created in the image of God. And those that think that just by, by rejecting God, they're, gonna be, they're friends with, with the devil, that they're looking forward to hanging out with the devil in hell because, you know, we're, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm buddies with, with, with the devil, all this type of stuff, whatever. A lie from the pit of hell itself. Haman was a puppet in all of this. Our enemy, the Bible tells us, our enemy is not flesh and blood. The Jews' enemy here, yes, physically enemy was, was Haman coming against him, but the real enemy is Satan. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is the spiritual forces of darkness led by Satan and all of the demonic forces of hell coming against us. And we see Haman's dead, but the plan of the enemy is still moving forward. And we're going to see that as we continue to move through the, the text tonight. And I'm going to read several verses here now, um, starting here, and then we'll come back and take a look at it together. The king extended the golden scepter to Esther. So Esther comes to, again to appeal to the king, and she can't just walk in unannounced, but this is such a burden on her heart. He extends the golden scepter to her, so that means that he gives her grace, and he wants to hear what she has to say. So Esther arose, stood before the king. Then she said, if it pleases the king, and I have found favor before him, and the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of um, Habadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's prov provinces. For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and him they have hanged on the gallows because he stretched out his hand against the Jews. Verse 8, Now you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. 
So the king's scribes were called at that time and at the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes and the provinces, which, which extended from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to every province according to its script, and to every people according to their language, as well as to the Jews according to their own script and their own language. Verse 10, he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent letters by couriers on horses, riding on steeds sired by the royal stud. In them, the king granted the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, to annihilate the entire army of, all the, of any people or province which might attack them, including children and women, and to plunder their spoil. On one day, in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, the 13th day of the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, a copy of the edict to be issued as the law in each and every province was published to all the peoples, so that the Jews would be ready for this day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Verse 14, the couriers hastened and impelled by the king's command, went out riding on the royal steeds, and the decree was given out at the citadel in Susa. So... Summary of what has just taken place. Esther comes and pleads for the lives of her people. And though the Queen Esther has everything, and now even probably even the protection that she herself is safe, no doubt probably Mordecai is safe, but all of the Jewish people still, there's a very real chance that they will all lose their lives. Why? Because she asks here in verse 5, just revoke the, the letter. Just revoke the law that was passed by Haman with his signet ring to wipe out all the people. The problem is, notice in verse 8, it says that anything written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. It cannot, it, they can't cancel the law. Even the king himself cannot cancel a law that has already been made. It, the reason for that is because they felt that the king himself, as acting as king, was infallible. So for him to say that that law that was made before is no longer valid would be to say that was a mistake, that that was wrong. So there, was, there is no way for him to revoke that. So though, though they could be safe, all of the rest of the Jews are still in very great danger because this date now is coming just a few months down the road to where a law was passed that if you see a Jew, kill him. So what do they do? He says, well, you have, you have the right now to send out this letter. And so a letter is then sent and drawn up and notice it is translated to all 127 provinces, to every corner of the kingdom, every province according to its script, multiple languages, multiple modes of, of getting the, the word out. He couldn't just tweet it out. It had to be sent out everywhere. Notice it says in verse 11 that the king is granting the Jews who are everywhere the right to assemble and to defend their lives. He is allowing the Jewish people and the Jewish people only, by the way, because no king would allow any other people to assemble an army to be able to defend themselves in this day. But that is what this edict is saying. I can't change the law that they're going to come after you. But what I can do is pass another law 
that if you would, even almost supersedes that one because now you're going to be able to assemble and defend yourselves against anyone who might be foolish enough to come against you. Now, just a, a, a note of translation here in verse 11, it says that they would be able to destroy, kill, annihilate uh, the entire army of any people or province which might attack them, including children and women, and to plunder their spoil. Most agree that the edict was not that they could kill women and children, but that women and children would also be able to defend themselves is basically what it is saying there. But all agree that it is saying here that if they're going to attack you, you have the right to defend yourself, to, to kill whoever's going to attack you, and take their possessions, take their plunder. And that's going to be important as we come later on. A copy of the edict, again, went everywhere, to every province, everywhere, all the way around, even using the king's own horses. And their time was of the essence. They had to get this word out because they had to get to every corner of the, of the, the kingdom so that they had time to assemble. They had time to prepare. They had time for all of that. Now, is there any lessons that we can draw from us today, or is this just a great little history story? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Because, first of all, there is, there is a law. There is a law that affects every human being. And it is the, the law of sin and death. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. The Bible also tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, just like the law that Ahasuerus had, Haman had issued, but Ahasuerus with his signet ring put into place, this law cannot be revoked. It's not as though God can just say now, okay, you know what? Just because you're all in this situation and because I, because I love you, I'm just going to remove that law. He can't because that would make a just and holy God unjust. That would leave sin undealt with. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So we, we all face a very real problem with this. And the only way to deal with this, and this is where I just love, we've been in Romans for a while on the weekends. Romans chapter 8 speaks of this. Verse 2 in Romans chapter 8, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death wasn't done away with. The law of sin and death is still there. It has to be. God is a just God. It has to be. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of spirit of death. Notice verse 3. It says, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to flesh, but according to, this, to the spirit. As we talked about when we were studying through Romans, it's not as though there was a problem with the first law. The problem is with us. And because of that, it was not like that first law could be done away with. God would be unjust then. But as Romans chapter 3 tells us, because of the new, as Jesus comes, fulfills the law, dies in our place, and the law of the spirit and life now applied to us, he's not only just, but he's the justifier, taking our place. 
And again, the beautiful piece of that is now what, what, what we couldn't do has been done for us. So what do we do with that? Well, again, it comes to us, but I love the picture of Esther. We're, as born-again believers, we're safe. As born-again believers, we are secure in that. But we shouldn't be just comfortable in that, like sitting around with a queen in a palace. We should have a burden. And notice she interceded for those who were still under that condemnation, praying for going to the king and interceding on their behalf. Not just comfortable that I'm safe and my family, Mordecai, is safe, but notice how, how it, it just grieved her. She fell at his feet. She wept and implored him. Bible says in Ezekiel, says, I searched for a man among them, God speaking, who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found none. Looking for someone who would do what Esther did. Looking for, for someone like, like you and I that we would intercede on behalf of others. And in this time, he wasn't looking, for, wasn't looking for a church. He wasn't, he wasn't looking for a big group. He was looking for a man. He was looking for an individual who would build up the wall, stand in the gap before me. Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name, that's us as Christians, if you and I will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Guys, it has to start with a burden. It has to start with prayer. We see her interceding and, 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 and a burden for them. And that's one of the, we talk about this a lot as Christians. We need to, if we don't have a burden for the lost, that's where it needs to start. We need to pray for a burden. But then we need to be interceding on their behalf, praying for the lost. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he said, right, he said, pray that, that workers would be raised up. We need to be praying for, for the lost. We need to be praying that workers would be raised up. But then if, if you read the, the gospel account in Matthew, the very next verse, it says, then he called the disciples and sent them out. <laughs> we need to be ready as we're praying and interceding that God is going to send us out. And we see, as we see this play out then in these next few verses, that is exactly what happens. They went out. They went to every, every province. They went to every, every corner of the, of the kingdom with the message. And in verse 14, again, notice they went everywhere. They went quickly. There was a sense of urgency because time was short. If they just said, hey, you know what? We got all the time in the world. We can just, we can take our time. No, the clock is ticking. There was a day that was set, already set, that it would have been too late. And guys, there is a day set. The Lord is coming, and I believe he's coming soon. We don't have a lot of time left. So we need to have that sense of urgency, and we have the message. We have the, the, the gift of eternal life that has been given to us. We have that message that through the Holy Spirit and, and through the power of the word of God, we have to deliver to others. Verse 15, 
Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. Remember last time, they were in confusion because all of the word going on and everything. Well, now as the new message is going out, the first message, nobody quite understood. They didn't understand it. Now, The new message comes out and they're shouting, they're rejoicing for the Jews. There was light and gladness and joy and honor in each and every province and in each and every city, wherever the king's commandment and his decree arrived, there was gladness and joy for the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many among the peoples of the land became Jews for the dread of the Jews had fallen upon them. They're seeing what's going on there. There's no doubt they see the hand of 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 a higher power here. (laughs) None of this makes sense unless there is something supernatural going on. And they see it. And they see the the reaction of the Jewish people. They say, I want to be a part of that. (laughs) And many of them became Jewish in that, giving, following the, the true and living God. And that should be the way the world looks at us, saying, seeing something's different in us, saying, I want a part of that. And again, as we share the truth with them and allowing the Lord to do what only the Lord can. Well, chapter nine, now in the 12th month, now here we come to the day, D-Day, but it used to be a destruction day. We're going to see D-Day now stands for deliverance. Now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day when the king's command and the edict were about to be executed, on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary so that the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. The Jews assembled. They had to, they had to not only receive the, the word, but they had to respond as they did. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the providence of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those, again, note, on those who sought their harm. Not just randomly against anybody, but those who sought their harm, those who came against them. And no one could stand before them. For the dread of them had fallen on all of the peoples, even all the princes of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and those who were doing the king's business assisted the Jews. (laughs) Not only the Jews, but all of the king's assistants, all of the leaders, all of them come alongside them because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Fear of Mordecai, now second in command. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai became greater and greater. Thus, the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did what they pleased so that those to those who hated them. At the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Now, there's an estimation, and I don't know how they come up with these estimates because, again, we're talking a long time ago, but in Susa, probably in excess of a half a million people lived in Susa, the capital itself. So only 500 eventually came against them here, and we're going to see 300 more the next day, but a very small percentage of the people. And we're going to see now the list of the 10 sons of Haman, and I'm not going to try to do what they do um, at Purim, when, the, when, the, when it is read in the synagogue. The, the, the reader of the story says all of these 10 names in one breath because they were wiped out in one motion so that he takes a big inhale and he gets them all out. There's no way I can do that. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to butcher them as it is anyway. But Perishadatha, Dalphan, Ashiftha, Poratha, Adaliah, Eridatha, Perishamatha, Erisaiah, Aradiah, Vyavarishimiyavitha. 
Well, you, you try it. <laughs> the 10 sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Jews' enemy, but they did not lay hands on the plunder. That's the first time we're going to see that. They wipe out 500 men, all 10 sons of Haman, but they did not touch the plunder. They did not take their possessions because that's not what it was about to them. It wasn't about anything other than simply defending themselves against the attack that was coming against them. Verse 11, on that day, the number of those that were killed at the citadel in Susa was reported to the king. The king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman at the citadel of Susa. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? If they did that here, I wonder what the report is from around the rest of the kingdom. Now, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your further request? It shall be done. Esther, what else would you like? She said, if it pleases the king, let tomorrow also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict of today and let Haman's 10 sons be hanged on the gallows. So put the 10 sons up where Haman was on the gallows. Again, as a display to everybody, don't, don't mess with us. Don't do this. And again, tomorrow, she must have probably got wind that there was some others that were going to follow up the next day or whatever, but it's simply strictly in the city itself. So the king commanded that should be done so, and the edict was issued in Susa, and Haman's 10 sons were hanged. The Jews, were also in, the Jews who were in Susa assembled also on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men in Susa. So the next day, 300 more came against them and they killed them. Notice again, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces assembled to defend their lives and rid themselves of their enemies and kill 75,000 of those who hated them, but they did not lay hand, their hands on the plunder. This was done on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day, they rested and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews who were in Susa assembled on the 13th day and the 14th day the same. They rested on the 15th day and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. Therefore, the Jews of the rural areas who live in the rural towns make the 14th day of the month of Adar a holiday and rejoicing and feasting and sending portions of food to one another. So, just an important point, again, to make here. The Jews are not the aggressors. <laughs> They're simply defending themselves. They're not out to get plunder. They didn't want anything to do with that. They just wanted to, they just wanted to exist. They just wanted to, to serve their God. They just wanted to have the land that, that was theirs to live in. And guys, the same is true today. Regardless of what, what, the, what the worldwide media and many others will try to portray Israel as the evil ones, what are the UN, all these votes and all this other kind of stuff that tries to make Israel the, the evil villain in the Jewish people in Israel and, and all of this. Guys, all they ever want to do and all of the, the skirmishes and all the battles and all the wars, they don't start any of them. They're responding to Hamas launching rockets and, and suicide bombers and, and suicide attacks and all of this other kind of stuff. They're simply responding and defending themselves. They're not trying to take additional land. They're not trying. To, they just want to exist peacefully right where they are. And yet, again, the, the, the enemy would like nothing more than to wipe them out and to everything here. But here we see the outline of it, and then they, they, they celebrate this. And again, even to this day, Purim is celebrated on the day that it's laid out here. Verse 20, 
it outlines it that it's made a made sent Mordecai sends it out that this is something that should be remembered every year. Then Mordecai recorded these events. He sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month, Adar, and the 15th day of the same month annually. Because on these days, the Jews rid themselves of their enemies. And it was a month which was turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. And they still celebrate it that way even to this day. As I mentioned, I think it was last time, um, one of the last couple of weeks, we had a chance of actually being in Israel one time that we went during Purim, and they all dress up in these costumes, and it's, it's a, a candy and feasting, and it's just a big, big party as they celebrate again God's faithfulness to them. Thus the Jews undertook what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the adversary of all the Jews, had schemed against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor, that is the lot, to disturb them and to destroy them. But when it came to the king's attention, he commanded by letter that his wicked scheme, which he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim after the name of Pur. And because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in regard and what had happened to them, the Jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants and for all those who alienated, or who, I'm sorry, who allied themselves with them so that they would not fail to celebrate these two days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time annually. So these two days were to be remembered and celebrated through every generation, every family, every province, every city. These days of Purim were not to fail from among the Jews or fade from their memory from their descendants. Then Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote the full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. So, I mean, it became an edict while they're, while they're still in that captivity, and again, continued on to this day, to establish these days of Purim at their appointed times, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established for them, and just as they had established for themselves and for their descendants with instructions for their times of, of fasting and their lamentations, the command of Easter or Esther established these customs for Purim, and it was written in the book. So again, outlined this year to do this every year. The first day is fasting, reading the story. The next day, a big celebration. The story is read again. Chapter 10. Now King Ahasuerus laid a tribute on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. Um, a tax was sent, was, was placed, and all the accomplishments of his authority and strength and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of uh, Media and of Persia, which we do not have a copy of yet? Just waiting for that to be discovered someday. For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus, the great among the Jews, and in favor with his many kinsmen, one who sought the good of his people and one who spoke the welfare of the whole nation. Again, we see God's faithfulness protecting his people uh, no matter what scheme the enemy tries to bring against them. 
And we've, we've seen this as we've looked at the, at the history of the Jewish people. Remember, if you'll remember back, there was a time in the history of the Jewish people where it got down to one descendant in the line of Judah. And if the line of Judah was eliminated, that would have been enough because the Messiah would come through that line. But that one was protected by God. We see here again another, we saw back in Pharaoh's time when they were in Egypt, an attempt to wipe out all the male children. All of this, we see it throughout again and again, but God is faithful to protect. And again, we know Jesus, we have these promises to us as Christians. Jesus said, speaking of us as the church, I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And Romans 8.31, right? If God is for us, who could be against us? So we conclude the, our, our study in Esther. And with that, like I promised, a, uh, a special treat. Um, one of our elders, many, most of you know, Bill Strickland, um, a multi-talented man, but one of them has got his gift in him, the gift of, of storytelling, and he has written a summary of, of Esther that he has shared here before. But uh, if you haven't heard it, you are in for a treat. So would you welcome Bill as he shares with us a summary of Esther. And I thought it was off. Ah, but we'll begin again. Was near the end of a six-month party. Great King Xerxes was feeling hearty. He declared this was the day to put the queen on display. Sent some eunuchs to get Queen Vasti. She replied, I don't mean to be nasty, but I ain't coming. Well, this sort of conduct we can't commend. Among the women could start a trend. Before more ladies are beguiled, we'll put Queen Vasti in exile. So the queen is out the door. <clears throat> Male dominion is safe once more. One slight problem does, does remain that there is no queen in this domain. Well, who shall we get for Vasti's place? But the fairest maiden of form and face will search this kingdom up and down until this beauty can be found. No expenses will be spared for one who will the kingdom share. Now, a Jew named Mordecai was in this city, and his niece Esther was very pretty. We're talking drop-dead gorgeous. Woo-ha-ha-ha-ha, get a load of that. She found favor when she was seen by the man looking for the queen. And when complete in the one-year training, she was chosen to be reigning with the king. Meanwhile, in the palace underground, we find a plot is coming down. Mordecai, sitting by the gate, overhears two crooks relate their plan to harm the king. He tells Esther of the thing, who in turn informs the king. And when the facts prove to be true, they execute the guilty two. Details of this plot unpulled in the books were chronicled. Now, after all of this commotion, the king gives Haman a promotion, filling Haman full of pride. Every day he takes a ride through the streets of Susa town, forcing folks to all bow down. But Mordecai will not bow. Something Haman can't allow. Haman's fury grew and grew. Then he said, Here's what I'll do. To the king, I'll take my plan, kill all the Jews throughout the land. <laughs> Dice were thrown for the lucky day that the Jews would be done away. I's were dotted, T's were crossed. A law was made for this Holocaust. Mordecai, when he read the paper, was most dismayed at this caper. Tore his clothes, began to mourn, knew that Esther, he must warn. Do not think you ought exempt. 
From the touch of this attempt of madman Haman's fiendish plan of all to choose to rid this land. Listen close, my lovely niece, in order to secure release from destruction of this deal, implore the king to make appeal. You've been raised up. I shall insist for a time just such as this to stop this thing that has been done must be the reason, royal one, that you're the queen. What? Hey, yeah, ooh. Well, uh, uh, to save my people would be delighting to see the king requires inviting. Entry with no invitation means an instant termination. So tell the people of our race to fast three days so I can face the peril, oh, the wretched peril of this bold intrusion to expose the vile collusion. For when the king sees me come in, then his scepter he must extend. And if he doesn't, then advise all the people of my demise. But my life I will not cherish. If I perish, well, I perish. Dressed up in her very finest, in she went to see his highness. He beheld her standing there, raised his wand, and said, Come here. Saw the queen was in a pout and said, I'd like to help you out. Up to half the kingdom, dear, is what I'd give to calm your fear. Esther said, uh, My one request is you and Haman be my guest. At a banquet I'll prepare. Then my petition I will share. So the king and Haman came that night. But Esther said, Oh, oh I it's just not yet right for me to share my heartfelt need. Oh, I know. Tomorrow night, I'd like to feed you and Haman one more meal. Then my desire I will reveal. Okie dokie, said the king. Haman's heart was filled with glee. Yeah, the king and queen are thrilled with me, were the sort of thoughts he had that night while going to his pad, until his eyes saw Mordecai, who did not bow when he passed by. His anger did not get control until his wife and frenzy told, I am a favorite of the king, but that will never fully bring the joy that I'd like, you see. Mordecai won't bow his knee. His wife replied, well, just build a gallows and string him up. That'll end this Jewish ploy, and tomorrow night you can eat with joy. Command some men and give them warning. Build that gallows before morning. Haman's heart, so full of malice, would seek approval from the palace. Ah, but unbeknownst to Haman's clan, a sleepless king will foil this plan. His mind alert, he couldn't snooze. He chose to catch up on the news. While chronicles were being read, it was revealed he could be dead. Two doormen had conceived a plot to kill the king, but it did not work because of Mordecai. What honor can we give this guy that would be fitting for a man who saved the king from hurtful hand? Who's in the court that I might ask the proper way to do this task? It seems that Haman just came in. The king said, over here, my man, what do you think a king should do for someone to show honor to? Haman thought, huh, 
it must be me. I mean, who else could it be? I'll make this what I'd like to see. Let me think, let me think. Oh, oh, oh. I think that honor would be found by robe and horse and kingly crown and then a herald of proclamation for this royal situation through the city streets they'd go so that everyone can know the honor that a man can gain when he's a pleasure to the king. That is the plan that we will try. Go do all that for Mordecai. So Haman took the robe and horse and obeyed his king, of course. He gave Mordecai his ride and then went home without his pride. Told his wife of the event, then off to Esther's place he went to keep the date that had been made, not knowing of the plans now laid. The king and Haman both are there, and Esther is prepared to share much more than there's just a, ban- just a banquet meal. Her mind is on another deal. Between the wine and appetizer, the king again said he'd oblige her. Anything her heart desired, just tell him all that she required. Esther said, well, I mean no strife but I would like to save my life and all my people from termination. That is my solicitation. Well, the king at once became irate. Why, who this deed would perpetrate? Esther then exposed the foe that the king desired to know. Who conceived this deed so dastard? Haman is the guilty person. What shall I do, the king inquired, with one who evil so inspired? Uh, Well, there is a gallows very high uh, that Haman built for Mordecai, just standing empty in his yard. (laughs) To convince the king wasn't hard on these same gallows so nearby, Haman would be hanging high. And then to stop the insurrection, every Jew would have protection. So in summary of our tale, we find that justice does prevail. Haman hung high as a steeple. No harm came to Esther's people. The king is happy with his spouse. Oh, uh, Mordecai got Haman's house. (laughs) And every year on a special date, this story is read to celebrate a gracious time of joyous news, the Feast of Purim for the Jews. Thank you. And the questions always come, yes, I did write it myself, and no, it hasn't gone anywhere other than just times like these. So. <laughs> I've told the Lord we ought to get famous and rich, but as of yet, he has not honored that. <laughs> so, Brett, ask if I could just close our time in prayer. Father, we do thank you for tonight's message and uh, just the example of your rescue of us from the forces of evil uh, is just blatantly clear. What a joy that is to, to know that as we put our trust in you, the, the wages of sin are paid by our magnificent master and savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you for that. And Lord, help us to, to herald the message, even as the forces of evil of Haman were forced to herald the message of, of Mordecai. Give us that, that same kind of heart, that same kind of strength, that fullness of joy, particularly at this time of season, as, as we realize that... You 
left heaven and all that it was that we can't imagine to come and be our great benefactor and, and savior and, and sense of peace and glory and strength. So we give you honor and praise and thank you, Lord, for, for the gifting of, of all of us. There's none of us that uh, doesn't have strength that you've provided and help us to express it in a way that brings you glory and spreads your joy among your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.